Well, thank you, Brother Bob, and uh, good morning again, church. Wonderful to see you as uh, we've had a wonderful time of worship and song and now turn to God's Word to hear what it is that He wants to say to us in this Sunday morning series entitled Knowing Jesus. And during this Sunday morning series, we are taking some time to look at some Gospels text and look at the uh, ministry of Jesus and look at how uh, he, he loved those uh, around him, no matter where they'd been, no matter what they'd done, uh, outcasts, religious leader, you name it, uh, just love flowed forth from Jesus. And we're just a week out from bow the knee, and so uh, we're preparing our hearts to see uh, a, a vivid picture of the love of Christ and healing folks and ministering to the outcast and then going to the cross to die for our sins and then rising again on the third day. And we're preparing our hearts for that by looking in God's Word. And I sure hope that uh, you're uh, busy inviting folks to be a part of Bow the Knee and Easter services coming up as we uh, look to the cross and as we look to the empty tomb and celebrate the love of Christ. Knowing Jesus, church, there is no greater thing in all of the world than to know Jesus and to have a personal relationship with Christ. His gift on the cross, indeed, is the greatest gift that has ever been given. And it is our heart's desire that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. That you don't just know about Jesus, that you know Jesus, that you have a personal relationship with Christ. Um, as one evangelist has said, eternity is too long to be wrong. Eternity is too long to be wrong. And so we want to make sure that you know the Jesus of the Bible. And this morning uh, we're going to be inspired and encouraged and reminded of Jesus' love for the outcast. How, how Jesus loved those that even the religious leaders shied away from and, and pushed themselves away from. And we're going to be meeting a man by the name of Levi or Matthew this morning who had an encounter with Jesus. If you have a Bible with you, turn with me to Luke chapter 5 and verse 27 this morning. Luke chapter 5 and verse 27. We're going to be in verses 27 through 32 this morning. Luke chapter 5 verses 27 through 32. Here in this passage, we see Jesus doing what he did best, ministering, uh, loving, calling people to follow him. And in this passage, the Bible says in verse 27 that Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And all God's people said, Amen. The passage before us this morning is a passage that reminds us, I, I believe, that, that God calls us as we are. It, it's interesting that uh, tax collectors were, were, were known they were known bad guys in, in a sense. They, they, were, they were crooked folks. Uh, tax collectors of Jesus' day were greedy. Uh, they were traitors. They worked for Rome. Uh, they were greedy in the sense that they arbitrarily charged sometimes more than twice of what was owed on taxes, and then they would pocket the difference. And there really wasn't much you could do. They worked for Rome and had the power of Rome behind them, so there just wasn't really much you could do about that. Arbitrary might be they, they may not like you. They may just not like you and charge you more taxes than you Oh, and tax collectors were hated. They were despised. They were the lowest of the lowest. Much different back during this, the, these days than it is in our days. I learned to be careful and make sure I, I clarify the difference between a tax collector back then and a tax collector today. In my last church, I hadn't been there very long. And you all know it takes a while to get to know people, right? And what they do and all that thing, all that kind of stuff. And so I'll never forget, I was just uh, waxing eloquently on tax collectors and giving them down the road and how awful people tax collectors are. And I just laid it on heavy. What crooks that tax collectors were and that sort of thing. And when the service was over, uh, again, I hadn't been there very long, one of our members gave me a hard time. He had fun with me and he said, hey, could you lay off the tax collectors? I am one. <laughs> I work for the IRS. <laughs> and so I do want to make sure that you understand there was a big difference between uh, tax collectors today and then. Although, uh, hey, how many of you are like me? Paying taxes is not your favorite thing to do. Let me see your hand. All right, you're, you're with me, right? But I do want you to know that while none of us love paying taxes, if we do, something's wrong with us, amen? Uh, none of us love paying taxes. Big difference between tax collecting today and back then. Uh, there are certainly more objective rules and regulations and that sort of thing to guide uh, what we owe. Uh, we may not agree with that, right? But, but there are objective standards there, not so in Jesus' day. And so tax collectors took advantage of that. And they could be very wealthy people, but they were hated and they were despised. They were considered the worst of sinners. They were not allowed to be witnesses in a court of law. And scripturally, they were in the same class as robbers, evildoers, adulterers, prostitutes, and pagan Gentiles. But Jesus calls a tax collector to come and follow him. And I believe there's a message here in Jesus calling this tax collector to come and follow him. And it's this. I believe it's that God wants us to know that the grace of God and the mercy of God calls us where we're at as we are to repent of sin and turn to Jesus. That the Bible does not call us to clean ourselves up and then come to Jesus. The Bible calls us to come to Jesus and then he cleans us up. 
And I'm afraid if we're not careful, we'll miss that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I know of several people right now that I've come to know who were not in church. And, I, and I'm trying to, to get them to come to Christ, number one, but, but also just come to church where I know that they can hear the gospel and be saved and be changed. And I contact these folks on a regular basis and try to get them to, to come to Christ or to come to church. And every one of them give me something like this. My life is just too much of a mess right now to, to come to God or to come to church. And I'm afraid that they misunderstand. In fact, I believe they've been given one of the greatest lies that the enemy gives. And that is, you've got to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. You've got to clean yourself up before you come to church. My friends, I believe that's one of the greatest lies that the enemy has for you and for me, for our community and our world today, is you have to clean yourself up and then you can come to Jesus. Or you've got to clean yourself up and then you can come to church. I think it's a great lie because I believe this. I believe I don't have the power to clean myself up. You don't have the power to clean yourself up. Here's what I believe the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, and I think we see it through Levi the tax collector, you can come as you are. In repentance, yes, for sure. But you can come where you are. No matter what you did last night, no matter what you did this morning, you can come as you are. You don't have to clean yourself up before coming to Jesus. You come to Jesus, and he'll clean you up. Amen. But come as you are. I believe that's the message here. Levi was called as he was, right where he was. Again, notice this theme, Jesus meeting people where they are. Jesus meeting people where they are. Doesn't matter what you did last night or what you did this morning. Come to Jesus where you are. Are. As one uh, theologian has, has said, uh, uh, capturing the we're fishers of men, uh, he has said uh, we can be sure uh, that if we'll go out and share the gospel and catch them, that God will clean them. Amen? And so we've got work to do this morning in getting that message out. Levi is called from where he's at. Look at this in verse 27. Follow me. Jesus went out, saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. I want you to notice verse 28, that Levi did just that. He got up, he left everything, and he followed Jesus. Now, it was a big deal to leave tax collecting. Tax collecting was a brutal business. Yes, there was a sacrifice involved when Peter and the fishermen left fishing to follow Jesus. Yes, there was a sacrifice involved in that. They left what they knew for something they didn't know. There was even a greater sacrifice in a tax collector leaving tax collecting because it was a brutal business. You would not be allowed to ever come back to tax collecting if you left tax collecting. So when Levi hears this call to follow Jesus and he gets up and follows Jesus, he recognized there was no turning back. Uh, the ships were burnt, so to speak. There was, there was no going back. There was no retreat. There was nowhere for him to go except for to trust in Christ. And he forsook his previous life and what he did. He recognized that he couldn't be what a tax collector was and be a faithful follower of Christ. And we know that Levi's life was changed. 
he was transformed. Uh, in fact, Levi, we know, is also called Matthew. It might be that his, he got a name change like many of God's people uh, did. Uh, in, in some of the Gospels, we see uh, Levi referred to as Matthew. It, it's a, a name that means the gift of God. And then Matthew, we believe, would go on and write the Gospel of Matthew. And so Matthew followed Jesus and continued to follow Jesus, and his life was changed. And that's good news this morning. Uh, I believe that God that Jesus is still in the life-changing business this morning. How about you? Amen? He's still in the life-changing business this morning. I'm so thankful for the difference that he's made in my life. I'm so thankful for the change in my life since April of 1995 when I surrendered, bowed on my knees and surrendered my life to Christ in my bedroom. I'm so thankful for the difference that he's made in my life. I'm far from perfect, and you've heard me say before, I'm not always the kind of person I should be, and I'm not who I hopefully someday shall be, but thanks be to the mercy and salvation of God, I am not who I used to be. Author Anne Lamont has said it this way, while I do not perfectly understand the mystery of grace, I know for certain that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. So Levi was one who, as he was, followed Christ, surrendered his life to Christ, and Jesus began a work of transformation in his heart. It's interesting how one of the things that we see in Levi, which I believe should be true of any of us who are in love with Jesus, and that's this. He had a desire for others to know his Savior. He had a desire for others to come to meet Jesus the one who had changed his life. Look with me in your Bible, if you would, at verse 29. We see this in verse 29. Levi wants to build bridges into the lives of his friends, fellow tax collectors who don't know the Lord. And so the Bible says that Levi held a great banquet. He, he threw a party uh, for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. You see, Levi built a bridge. Listen to me, church. Levi built a bridge so that others in his life could come to know Christ. It reminds us of the witness that God desires for us to be, that we're to be a bridge in, in, into a lost person's life, into a person's life who, who may not come to church or may never read the Bible, but maybe they can see Jesus in a humble way. Maybe they can see Jesus somehow through our life. The bridge today is this. Maybe it's having a gospel conversation. It's talking to, to, to somebody that we work with or somebody in our neighborhood about Christ. Maybe it's inviting them to something. We know that upward ministry, upward basketball is a great bridge in our community. We bring people in to enjoy a game that I love and it's meant a lot to me. But as they come in, we, we share Jesus with them. Uh, bow the knee is another incredible opportunity. Uh, I'm not naive enough to, 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 to not believe that. I know a lot of people are, are, you know, you invite them to come hear your preacher. Lost, why would a lost person want to come and hear a preacher, right? That's why, that's why it's so important to engage people where they're at. But a lost person might want to come and watch Bow the Knee. They might be interested in a drama to, to say that we've got, uh, you, know, you know, all these folks that are going to come together and present Jesus and the life of Jesus, and it's, it's incredible, and it'll bless you, and His Word travels. Somebody may come to watch Bow the Knee who wouldn't come to hear me preach. Those are bridge opportunities. I want to encourage you, church, just share your story. Just be willing to share your story. When, when opportunities arise, has Jesus made a difference in your life? Somebody say amen. 
If he's made a difference in your life, share your story with somebody. There's, there's power in, in story. Somebody that, that loves you, a, a friend that you can just tell, hey, uh, this may sound weird or odd to you, but, but Jesus has changed my life. He's real to me, and, and, and I believe he'll make himself real to you, and I believe he can change your life as well. It's incredible how just a real person just sharing a story can compel someone else to, 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 to make a decision to trust in Christ. Real people sharing their story is something that marketers, marketers have understood the power of real people just sharing their story. Uh, I got an example of this. Uh, we, we went, our family went to the movies uh, here about a week ago, and we were there during the uh, commercials before the movie. And uh, there was a, a Chevy commercial that uh, let us know that they were not paid actors, that they were real people who had tried Chevy. And so here's this commercial uh, over and over and over again. These real people are saying, you know, hey, we, we switched to Chevy and it changed our life, right? It made a big difference in our life. We, we switched to Chevy over and over again. That was the tagline at the end. We switched to Chevy. We switched to Chevy. We switched to Chevy. When the commercial was over, this little preschool girl down in the front, she blurted out and said, Mama, can we switch to Chevy? Now, I'm not trying to start a debate this morning or a fight between Ford folks and Chevy folks. Amen? Come on, somebody. Yeah, I'm not trying to do that. But what I'm simply trying to say is this. I'm trying to say this. There is power in somebody's story that tried something and it made a difference. Ask marketers. They know that. Well, listen, we have a gift in our relationship with Christ that's the greatest gift this world's ever known. I don't know about you. I believe I can speak for you perhaps, but I know for me, Jesus has made a difference in my life. Again, I'm not perfect, but, but, but I'm following the one who is. And he's made a difference in my life. And if you'll try Jesus, I know with all of my heart, he will not let you down. That's where Levi was at. I want, I want people, I want, a pro, I, want, I want others to know the Savior that I know. So verse 29, the Bible says he threw a party. He had a banquet, and he invited all of his friends to come to Jesus. And everybody was real happy about it, right? The whole community was happy. All, uh, somebody say, no, no. Not everybody was happy. Uh, it, it's hard to make everybody happy all the time. Can somebody say amen? It's near impossible to make everybody happy all the time. Not everybody is happy. The religious leaders, verse 30 of your Bible, if you'll look with me, the religious leaders and the Pharisees, they were not happy. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees, complained to Jesus' disciples. They were critical. They said, why do you eat and why do you drink with tax collectors and sinners. One of the things that encourages me, and I believe it will encourage you if you're a leader, and that is this. It doesn't matter how great of a leader, how strong of a leader you are, um, it is impossible to escape criticism. Amen? Uh, in fact, I often like to be reminded that even Jesus was, was criticized, and he was perfect. And if Jesus was criticized, who in the world do we think we are that we won't be criticized? Can somebody say Amen? And so Jesus was criticized for his relationship with and the time that he spent with lost people. But I'm inspired, I'm inspired by Jesus' resolve, by his perfect heart, the heart of God, who, who wasn't swayed by the opinions of others. If he knew he was doing the right thing, and he always did the right thing, uh, then Jesus just went with it. And we can be inspired by his courage to do the right thing, no matter what others have to say about it. Criticism is 
impossible to avoid. It doesn't matter what you're doing. There's a great illustration of how impossible it is to avoid criticism from the life of Robert Fulton. Robert Fulton invented uh, the steamboat. And when he first presented the steamboat, Robert Fulton had it set up. And he wanted to present it to all the folks in the community and all around to see how the steamboat worked. And so he got it there on the river and he cranked it up and witnesses stood around and many of them were very critical for a while. And you could hear audible yells from the crowd saying this, It'll never start! It'll never start! It'll never start! And it started. And it began to move and it began to go down that river and every, everybody got silent and then the crowd began to chant this, it'll never stop, it'll never stop, it'll never stop. It's impossible to sidestep complainers or criticism. But one of the things that we want to make sure that we are not is we want to make sure that we're not like the Pharisees. Can I hear an Amen. The Pharisees were those who majored on the minors. They focused more on the outside than the inside. They gloried more in appearance than in the heart. They were threatened when they thought they were losing their power. They were super slow to see their own faults, and they were super quick to criticize others. And they justified themselves by condemning others. And the Pharisees, I believe, just completely misunderstood the law of God. The law of God to drive us to holiness. Listen, the law of God to drive us to holiness is never meant to push us away from the lost, to push us away from the ungodly. And I think the Pharisees misunderstood that. We know the Pharisees not only followed God's laws, but they added to God's laws and made God's laws stricter than God intended for them to be. And by doing that, they shut themselves out from the lives of those who needed Christ the most. We, we want to make sure that we don't do that. Who do we want to be like? Well, we want to be like Jesus. Look in verse 31 and 32, and then we'll close. Jesus' answer to this criticism, Jesus' answer to this complaining is, is this. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I think one of the things we want to make sure we don't do, we, we, we want to make sure that we don't misunderstand this to mean that there are some people who are inherently righteous and there are some people who are not. The Bible certainly doesn't teach that. Romans chapter 3 tells us that there are none righteous, no, not one. What that means is on our own. On our own, none of us can be righteous before God. None of us can earn proper standing with God based on how we live. Our righteousness all comes from Jesus, amen? From believing in Christ and trusting Christ. And the only good thing in me, I'm a sinner, the only good thing in me is Christ in me. And, and so how, here's how I think we understand this. I think there's maybe a little bit of a sarcastic tone. If we were to listen to Jesus on this day, I think there's a little bit of sarcasm because he's speaking to people who think they're righteous on their own. The, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they mistakenly thought they were righteous on their own. And I think what Jesus is saying is this, I, I can only help you when you humble yourself and admit that you need my help. Does that make sense, church? 
I can only help you when you humble yourself and recognize you're not righteous on your own. In other words, I have, I have nothing to say. I can do nothing for the one who refuses to accept my grace. I can, I can do nothing for the one who refuses to accept my mercy because they think they're righteous. They, they think they're good enough. And Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous to repentance, those that think they need no repentance. Jesus knows there's nothing I can do for you until you recognize that you need to repent, until you recognize that you're unrighteous. And Jesus reminds us here of his purpose in coming, and we'll close with this, and that is Jesus came, we know, not to condemn, but Jesus came to save. Now, if we reject the gospel, does that condemn us? Yes, it does. The Bible teaches that we are condemned before God if we reject the gospel. But Jesus' purpose in coming was not to condemn us, but to save us and to lay down his life for our sins. And by the way, this passage here is where we draw the phrase that the church is to be a hospital for sinners. Jesus said it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Why am I spending time with sinners? Why am I spending time with tax collectors? Why am I spending time with the lost? Be because they're spiritually sick. Because they're spiritually sick, and they need a spiritual doctor. My friends, I'm so thankful that my friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the great physician who came to save and to heal the spiritually sick. And I'm so thankful this morning that I didn't have to clean myself up before I came to Jesus. I was able to kneel down in my room as someone who was sick back in April of 1995, and I didn't have to clean myself up because guess what? I'd have never come to Jesus if I had to clean myself up. I'm so thankful that I knelt down in my bedroom and gave my life to Christ as I was. And what he did for me, he can do for you. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus as you are. Come in repentance, sure. Come in repentance, sure. But, but come as you are. Come humble, for sure. Come humble. But come as you are. And don't believe the lie from the devil that you've got to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. Or you've got to clean yourself up before you start coming to church. Because you and I don't have the power to clean ourselves up. Instead, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says for you to come to Jesus as you are in repentance, and He'll clean you up. And He'll change your life. And don't listen to the lie of the devil this morning that would tell you anything else. I close this morning with... A reading from a book called Messy Spirituality by Mark Iaconelli. And he writes about how reluctant we often are to admit our sin or to admit that we're spiritually sick. And he writes and says this. He says, for a period of time we were blessed enough to have a housekeeper. She would come in once a week to dust, vacuum, and clean every little, bit, every little corner of our house. But he says, I dreaded the day she came because my wife and I would spend all morning trying to clean the house for the housekeeper. <laughs> he says, we didn't want the house to be dirty or what would the housekeeper think about us? He continues to write, we act the same way with God. 
We talk our way out of spiritual life, refusing to come to God as we are. Instead, instead, we decide to wait until we're ready to come to God. We decide that the way we lived yesterday, last week, or last year makes us damaged goods, and that until we start living right, we're not really the kind of material that God's looking for. Some of us actually believe that until we choose the correct way to live, we aren't choosable. That until we clean up the mess, Jesus won't have anything to do with us. The opposite is true. Until we admit we are a mess, Jesus won't have anything to do with us. Once we admit how unlovely we are, how unattractive we are, how lost we are, Jesus shows up unexpectedly. Somebody say amen. According to the New Testament, Jesus is attracted to the unattractive. He prefers the lost ones over the found ones, the losers over the winners, the broken instead of the whole, the messy instead of the unmessy, the crippled instead of the non-crippled. Isn't this what Jesus himself taught? It is the sick that need a doctor and not the healthy. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning as we enter into a time of invitation? I want to plead with you right where you're at, heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to plead with you to come to Jesus. I want to plead with you to call on the name of Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed, know that God loves you, that God made you, but your sin has separated you from God. And unless we repent of sin and come to Christ, the Bible teaches that we'll spend eternity separated from Him in a place the Bible calls hell. But the Bible also teaches that it's not God's will that any of us go to hell, but that we have life and life through Christ. And you can repent of your sins and Call upon the name of the Lord this morning right where you're at. No need to clean yourself up this morning first. You can come as you are. And you can do that by lifting up a prayer. I'll, I'll lead you in a prayer and you just pray this to the Lord. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in your heart this morning. But you can just say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. But I believe you still love me. Jesus, I believe you came from heaven. That Jesus, you put on flesh. Jesus, you lived a perfect life for me. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. Jesus, I believe you rose on the third day. I'm sorry for my sin. I want to turn from my sin. And I want to turn to you. Lord, I call on your name. Save me from my sins come into my life. Lord, thank you for saving me. Change my life now and help me follow you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All God's people said, some of you may have said that prayer for the first time. No magic in that prayer, but it's an expression. It's an outlet of expression when God's working on your heart to just call on the name of the Lord and know that He hears and that He saves those who call upon Him. If you've prayed this prayer this morning and you believe something's happened inside and you've been saved, the next step is to tell somebody, to, to not keep that to yourself, but to go public with your faith in Christ. Our invitation time is a time to do that. We're going to stand here in a moment. We're going to sing. And if God has saved you this morning, or if you desire to recommit your life, or if you've been coming here for a while journeying with us, but you've not joined us yet, and you're ready to have a church home, a place where you can plug into and commit to and give your life in, then you can do that during this time. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. Would you just listen to the Lord? Would you just obey?
And would you just come if he's calling you as we stand and as we sing our song of invitation?